Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying time is here. That's right. We're talking about Alien 3 on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations tonight. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from Fury 161. This is the Kill by Kill podcast, where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. And of course, in this episode, we will be discussing Alien 3 uh, for our Xenomorph saga here. Of course, usually there would only be one person I trust to run rumor control, the one, the only, Gina Radcliffe, but due to technical difficulties, she is unable to join us at this time. But don't get scared, all right? We are not alone. That's right. We have special guests. Now, you may know them from their own excellent show, where every two weeks, they take an in-depth look at one cinematic subject on Mixed Reviews, the podcast, the ones, the onlys, Louie and Gavin. Hello to you both. Hey, hey. Hello. So happy to have you here with us today. Such a fan of your podcast. And uh, I wish Gina was here as well. But there, this is a very interesting movie to discuss, Alien 3. Um, and before we go any further, I kind of wanted to know what your history is with the Alien franchise. And in particular, Alien 3. Gavin, why don't you go first? Okay, uh, so I have been a fan of the Alien movies since the 90s. I was I was born in the 80s, so they're totally, the timeline matches up. But Alien 3 specifically, I remember being too young to see it when it came out in the theater. And actually, in a very dumb anecdote, I remember having the ending of it spoiled for me from an episode of Blossom, of all <laughs> things. God, Blossom, really <laughs> just like the cutting edge of news for movies. Yes, Absolutely. <laughs> There was a, some sort of school project she had to do and her and her brothers didn't made a movie and they did the whole like Ripley falls into a vat of molten stuff at the end. And I was like, that's how that movie ends. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, so my history with Alien 3 is is knowing going in what I was getting in for. But uh, I, I've always I've actually always kind of liked Alien 3. But I also realized that uh, as I was just telling you before the show began. I've seen the assembly cut much more than I've ever seen the theatrical cut. So that mm-hmm. maybe has clouded some of my memories of it sort of rose tinted those glasses. Cause it is a much superior film to the original cut in my yeah. opinion, mm-hmm. but no, yeah, that makes I, sense. I, I, yeah, that's, that's basically it for, for me and alien, just a big appreciator of those xenomorphs. Sure. <laughs> Louie, how about you? Gavin just sees himself a lot in these creatures. I have a lot of teeth, man. Yeah, a lot of teeth. (laughs) Uh, Unlike Gavin, if you're a listener to our show, uh, I'm famously uh, not a spooky bitch. And I I only recently uh, watched the Alien movies. I I watched Alien 1 and 2 for um, our recent episode on Sigourney Weaver. And I was surprised at how much I liked them. Uh, I, 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 the first one is incredible. Yeah. Um, it's what what I like most about these movies that it's secretly or slash not so secretly just a movie about like how fucking work sucks and like corporations will kill us all <laughs> in the end. Um, and I appreciate that. Um, so, uh, but I didn't watch Alien Three um, for our episode, and so I was very excited uh, to be invited on this show because, and I was like, aha, now I can watch Alien 3. Um, And I will say, like, uh, I don't know if 
she it makes some interesting choices. I will say, I don't know if I liked it as much as um, the other two. I mean, maybe, I don't know. I was waiting for like the iconic moments. Like, you know, there's iconic scenes that I think come out of um, the movies. And I think I, I spotted maybe one perhaps in Alien 3. Um, but it definitely is taking another turn. Um, I the, the corporations are evil is still there, but also maybe religion is bad. Who knows? Um, mm-hmm. so, so interesting stuff. Yeah, I, I that is, I think, the, the two themes that kind of bounce back and forth uh, in this particular film is either, well, you can't trust corporations, but also religion doesn't do anything for you. It's real bleak, man. It's super <laughs> bleak. Yeah, uh, for sure. And I think that kind of comes with the territory. And I'll just say briefly before we go into the production history of Alien 3, which also is bleak. Um <laughs> Just as a great change of pace. Um, I, I, as listeners to the show will know, or if you're new to it, Alien is like, is in my DNA. Uh, Aliens was the movie that kind of changed my life in terms of how it affected me. Um, And so I was very excited for whatever came after Aliens. And, um, in 1991, uh, or there around, uh, they really actually, yeah, yeah, probably early 1990 or late 90, early 91, they had a teaser that they put out into theaters in which you see Earth and they basically promise the next movie, aliens be coming to Earth. This was and, at the end of Alien 2? Uh, this is just a teaser trailer that they put in amongst other trailers, just <laughs> announcing that Alien 3 was going to happen. Oh, uh, so they're liars. They are straight up liars. Now, <laughs> so that was the last I heard of it. So when I attended a screening of Alien 3 in June 1992, I was uh, very surprised at what I saw because I had not seen any trailers in between. Uh <laughs> for a multitude of reasons. And as a result, my first viewing was very skewed because I was being given something very different than I had been promised the last time I had heard about Alien 3. Um, so that being said, it was, it was slightly off. I, I've warmed to it quite a bit since, and the assembly cut does a lot to do that. But there's a reason why everyone was so fucking confused and We'll get to that now in a segment we like to call Patrick has been thinking about the Alien series for so long that he just has verbal diarrhea of information and (laughs) no one has the power to cut him off. Oh, my God. Um, In the aftermath of Aliens box office and its award success in 1986, both Fox and the production company Brandywine started shopping for filmmakers to to take on a third film in the series after a couple years. At first, they said, like, there's no way you can follow that up. And they were like, but I like money. So they went for it. (laughs) Fair. Fair. So things start to look up when they hire author William Gibson. Now, William Gibson would, in some senses, be the father of the Matrix. He's the uh, sort of grandfather of cyberpunk as a genre. And his pitch excited everyone because he wants to, his idea is, we're going to bring xenomorphs to Earth. And Fox is like, I love this. 
slot that for Christmas 1991. They they make that (laughs) teaser trailer that I talked about with the tagline on Earth everyone can hear you scream and the audience goes yes this is what i want and this is exactly what fox cannot deliver upon wow at the same time uh sigourney weaver stars constantly on the rise and they the production company nor fox can really get her to commit to making another alien film because they're hard to do and they take a lot of time and she has a lot better shit to do. <laughs> so Gibson is kind of tasked with writing two scripts, one with Sigourney Weaver and one without. And so the one without kind of puts Ripley in a coma and pushes the action onto Corporal Hicks and Newt. Um, Gibson's script is layered and it's focused there's a lot of corporate intrigue about Wayland Utani and how uh, the corporations are going to kill us all. And so, of course, everyone hates it. Fox I, says, hold on, wait a minute. Yeah, wait, <laughs> we, the, the corporations are bad in this one? <laughs> yeah, I feel like this script is pointing the finger at me, the guy in the shiny suit. When this guy in the shiny suit says, we're going to kill you all, people don't matter, only money does. Do you so, know if this is true or not? Did it's? Uh, I, I saw a quote that said mm-hmm. Gibson once referred to his script as, quote, space commies hijack alien eggs, big problem in mall world. <laughs> Kind of. You can actually listen to his version of Alien 3. There is an audiobook version of it, and it is very interesting. Um, yeah, there's, there's a comic, too. And I also think that they, sorry, this is this is the very small amount of research I did. Sure. Um, the They also did, like, a physical book that is his first draft. Mm-hmm. And I guess the audio and the comic book are the second draft. So yeah. there, there are changes in between that. There are so many versions of Alien 3. People love Alien 3 secretly. <laughs> it's, I think it's a fascinating what if. Because mm. there's so many versions of this movie that could be. And even when Fox and Brandywine, who are just uncomfortable with what Gibson is doing, they, they just it's so expensive, it's so out there, and it makes them look so bad <laughs> that they're just like, we have to move on for this. And so they're like, we need to get in someone who does horror stuff. Who is the hottest horror writer right now? And so they grab Eric Red, who had done The Hitcher. And The Hitcher is uh, a great, gritty little exploitation, you know, horror drama. And it's very grim and it's very gritty. And so he writes a version of that Gibson script that no one likes either. So as you can see, like things are going great, but Fox has committed to a Christmas 1991 release. So the clock be ticking. So at this point, Fox and Brandywine decide to divide and conquer. All right. So Fox brings in David Tui, who up to that point had written Critters 2 and uh, our former guest, Megan Sunday's favorite movie of all time, Warlock. Um, (laughs) He would go on to do all sorts of fun stuff, including sci-fi. So he comes up with something that kind of focuses on the xenomorph being unleashed within a prison planet. Oh, well, that sounds somewhat familiar. Familiar. Yeah. Uh, and that makes sense because after a very military hell, heavy aliens, that this takes a lot of firepower off the table, right? It forces the humans of the story to stay alive via ingenuity against a single 
deadly threat. Now, on the other end, you have Director Vincent Ward. He is your designated uh, iconoclast. He's he's the guy with visions. And so they bring him in to write a completely separate draft. The one that is so fucking bonkers, again, I would love to see this. It takes place on a man-made wooden planet <laughs> populated by Luddite monks who confuse the arrival of the Xenomorph with a dragon who has come to pass judgment on their faith and they essentially burn down their planet from within trying to kill it. That sounds fucking awesome, right? Yeah, who hasn't? I mean, honestly, <laughs> that sounds like a Wednesday to me. <laughs> <laughs> I love like the whole like Quasimodo mo- like motif of like, who is the monster? Who is the man? Oh my goodness. Like it's, <laughs> I, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. He, he yeah. said, I have some thoughts on religion <laughs> and I need to get to them. And his previous movies about time displaced knights. Right. There's a lot of, he that, loves the medieval. It's, and, it's funny. That's what, so every time I've seen the theatrical cut of alien three, I, I have vivid memories of seeing the navigate, the navigator, a medieval odyssey, which is his previous film mm-hmm. it, as a kid. And I'm always like, these movies feel very similar. And so when I saw that he was involved at one point, I was like, oh, but like, that's not David Fincher doesn't normally make stuff that looks like that. Yeah, no, no. It was very much a Vincent Ward kind of idea. And that makes sense. Like Alien is a haunted house flick, right? It is specifically designed for that filmmaker and that script. There, It's very, very focused. Aliens is a Vietnam War era flick. It's shifting. So if we're going to shift genres again, why not fantasy, right? This, this mm-hmm. is very much in the alien aesthetic of an auteur-focused story. But we're fast approaching a production start. And neither <laughs> Fox nor Brandywine believe in either of these two scripts. Now, they do have a director signed, their latest wonderkin, Rennie Harlan, who is coming <laughs> off of a scrappy horror flick called Prison, a major hit crafted during the writer's strike in the baffling yet entertaining A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, and then a major hit in Die Hard 2, the last movie where we see John McClane cry after a massive loss of life. And after that, he's like, fuck it. These tear ducts are closed. I'm no longer a human. Anyways, <laughs> did, that's did for he the just Die do, Hard podcast. <laughs> Didn't he just do an interview where he had to actually say that he had to basically like trick Bruce Willis into emoting because <laughs> Bruce Willis was like, yeah, I'm not going to do your dumb jokes. No one wants a John McClane that tells jokes. And it's like, that's literally what anybody wants. Everybody likes the first movie because John McClane's really funny. Because he's really funny and he's human. Like he right. admits on a radio that, that his wife divorcing him and moving him, moving across the country has broken him as a person. The scene in Die Hard 2, the scene that I genuinely like where he is with a blanket over him and an entire plane has exploded and he's crying because he didn't save the day. He's the guy who saves the day and he didn't. There's a massive loss of life and he's crying over it. You're like, see, that's a fucking human being. And that's the last time that shit ever happens. Uh, anyways. No, Harlan you begins- need to see him with Justin Long as a hacker. That's what, <laughs> that's what America wants. Yeah, no. 
that doesn't so much happen. He's he's a soulless robot at that point uh, who does not believe in anything cool happening in these movies, and yet he needs money. Anyways, he did need money. We probably shouldn't make fun of how much he needed money. Yeah, but yeah, that's true. Th- now we know. I used to think he was gambling debts. I wish it was still gambling debts. So Harlan begins prepping what is basically two fucking movies because no one can make a goddamn decision. So David Geiler and Walter Hill at Brandywine basically take two scripts and they just put them together. Mm-hmm. Here's a prison. Uh, here's monks. You got you got your prison in my monks. You got your monks in my prison. <laughs> and now you got a Reese's peanut butter cup of a movie. And Harlan reads it and goes, you know what? Gina Davis wants to marry me. Um, I'm out. (laughs) All right. I don't need this shit. I have the hottest woman in the world who would like to go to the Caribbean with me. Fuck off. And so he jumps ship and probably almost ruins his career. But wait, he'll he'll ruin his own career later. And so into this marches David Fincher, which also makes sense. Like Fincher, another iconoclast. He has an incredible eye for striking imagery. So it makes sense that you go to this guy who makes these amazing cinematic music videos and commercials to make Alien 3. And you can see the DNA of David Fincher throughout this film. And if you want to review how it kind of coalesces with his other work up until this point, I would point you to music videos as diverse as uh, Steve Winwood's Roll With It, Paula Abdul's Cold Hearted, which shares a cinematography look that is disturbing when you watch them back to back. Wow. Wow. M- Madonna's Express Yourself, George Michael's Freedom 90, and of course, Aerosmith's Janie's Got a Gun, mm. which a teenage girl shoots her family. Yes. yes. It's <laughs> complex. It's multi-layered. It's cinematic. You a left out uh, the... Yeah my favorite Billy Idol rock the cradle of love a music video. He had Mm -hmm. to shoot uh, with animated Billy idols because I want to say a day or two before they went to shoot the video, Billy Idol was in a awful uh, motorcycle accident and almost lost the use of his legs. I love that music video. (laughs) Unabashedly. (laughs) Of all the music videos in which a guy panics that he might have sex with a 16 year old. Yes. It is amongst my favorites. For sure. I of forgot course, the, that that's a subplot. Please don't judge me. Please don't judge me. It is me. the main thrust. <laughs> he is rocking a cradle of love because the cradle contains a minor. Um, but And also a music video created for the adventures of Ford Fairlane, a Rennie Harlan movie. Anyways, we digress. Let's go back to poor Davy Fincher. He has five whole weeks of pre-production to make sense of what is basically a cinematic Frankenstein that may or may not at this point star Sigourney Weaver because Miss Siggs is coming off multiple Oscar nominations and a string of comedy and drama hits. She doesn't have to make anything she doesn't fucking want to. So in desperation, Alien 3 just has to be a hit for Fox. They, they've put too much into it at this point. So they back up a Brinks truck and say, how would you like to be the highest paid woman in Hollywood? Mm-hmm. For 1991. And so they give her $4 million up front, plus a piece of the back end. And good for you, Sigourney Weaver, for getting your bag. Yeah, isn't she an executive producer on the movie? 
She also is an executive producer and an active producer, as we will go on to talk about. Um, Fincher arrives at Pinewood Studios, where they also shot Alien and Aliens, and he has arrived without a script. He has no guarantee of a leading lady. He has exactly zero friends in this situation as well. This is how he put it. These are his words, not mine. Quote, there's no one problem with a 65 million fucked up production and a first time filmmaker. Look, I made a crucial error. I listened to the people who were paying for the movie and they said, the way to go about this is not to work with your friends. The way to go about this is to work with people who've done this time and time again. And basically that translates into, hey, meet a bunch of people who are going to resent you for your age and you are not go- they are not going to want to take instruction from you. And they are and their entire job is to tell you what you can't do. And that was the all the time I spent on Alien 3. And so if that sounds familiar to those of us who remember the Aliens episode, it should. Because that is exactly what James Cameron came up against when he was shipped off to Pinewood Studios to make Aliens. But of course, he had a couple advantages. He had written the script. And his future ex-wife, Gail, I wish a motherfucker would, heard, was producing the movie. Plus, Aliens was exactly the kind of movie that Brandywine's Walter Hill and David Geiler were comfortable making, an action flick. So Fincher is left with two halves of a bummer with an acid-filled death machine running around inside of it. I was going to say <laughs> that this man had no friends, but yet was still probably more liked than James Cameron. Yes. Well, <laughs> mm, James, James Cameron thing. has said some pretty nasty things about their unions for years. Yes. So yes. I, you know, I, I always, every time I'm like, he's like, yeah, they want to take breaks during the day. And it's like, yeah, cause they have unions, buddy. Yeah, but like no one's but also like no one fucking set him up for success in that circumstances and he continues to pull that attitude no matter with what union or non-union he ends up doing up until the point he's confronted by his own children before he makes avatar 2 and they're like we don't fucking like you yeah you're not a lot of fun to be around you're like a goddamn dictator and he's like well a what if I tried to change that? And B, what if I write a movie where the main character is kind of a dick as a dad and his kids tell him, fucking knock it off. I want to play with space whales already. And that's <laughs> Avatar 2, everyone. Welcome to my review. Beautiful. I just saw it yesterday. So, yeah, you're correct. <laughs> it is. It is uh, the most confessional movie James Cameron has ever made where he's like, maybe I'm a shitty dad. And it's going to make $2 billion because that's what James Cameron movies. He's like, wait, am I learning something about myself through this? <laughs> I didn't listen. Listen, I just wanted to make some fun space whales dive onto ships, but uh, all right, I'll learn that maybe I can't be an asshole to both my cinematographer and my children. They're not the same. One works for me. The other one does not. So there you go. Um, so Alien 3 is kind of set up for failure. <laughs> but none, none of these decisions are necessarily bad decisions. It's just that when you combine Ripley, who at this moment in time just wants to die already, 
with a men's prison filled with space monks and rusty fire. It's not exactly what most audiences were screaming for in June right. of 1992. Right, and they're not just space monks. They are prisoners who are rapists and, like, criminals who have found God in space. And yeah. so it's like they want to have it both ways. They've they found God, but also, like, you better not fuck with them because they do <laughs> like raping. Yes. Uh, they <laughs> Listen... The, the conversion right here is not 100%. There's a lot of people who are just going with the flow. Yeah. Like they oh, yeah. know they're not. This is a better situation than another prison they might be sent to. So they're kind of okay with it in the end of the day. It, oh, it's a real weird situation. But again, not exactly what you would call blockbuster material. Then again... This movie comes mere weeks after Batman Returns made everyone who saw it feel weird down there. Mm -hmm. And then you combine this with other films of that summer, including Single White Female, Death Becomes Her, Raising Cain, and even that March was the release of Basic Instinct. And you could pretty much call this the summer of the confused boner. Yeah. Like, everyone is hot. Everyone is bothered, but they can't put their finger on why because they're Mormon and repressed. Oh, wait a second. That got very personal. Okay. <laughs> Not revealing ourselves. No, 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 no. This, this isn't a personal thing. But um, so that and, and that's what gets released into theater is it is a long, laborious production. The edit is taken away from Fincher when he brings the footage back to Fox Studios they look at it and he's like, well, here's the script you gave me. Here's all the material for that script. The final product would be about two and a half hours. We spent a whole bunch of money to try to make the weirdest looking alien we could that runs on four legs. And they're like, great, super. We don't like any of this. Let's just try to make a fucking movie out of it. And so Geiler and Hill kind of hole up in an edit suite. And that's why Fincher, when you, if he will talk about it at all, basically disowns the movie. The, the end result is stuff that he shot, but never really assembled into a motion picture. And uh, when the movie was released on DVD as part of the quadrilogy, there was what was called the assembly cut. That's why it's not called a director's cut. Um, and as a result, it's kind of his intentions, but not really the kind of movie he necessarily really wanted to make. Uh, it, it makes more sense than the theatrical version, which just kind of goes as fast as it can for a movie that takes a really long time to just like put together a broken Bishop robot. <laughs> um, yeah. There's, there's, you know, it, it's, it's full of sad sex and, characters who all look the same i was gonna say i just felt mostly like oh they went through all of that shit in alien 2 for nothing that, <laughs> yeah i hit yeah. the real i mean i famously don't like child actors um and i was so, so annoyed I believe you said on our sigourney weaver episode that actually you really wanted that kid to die you yes. were hoping an alien would eat newt yes because then she could just like leave and it'd be fine like Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and in this, the beginning of this movie, they're like, and the girl, like, oh yeah, she's definitely dead. And I'm like, oh god, she went through all that <laughs> shit for nothing. Like, what the fuck? I I think that this this is the movie that if if the first film is about 
uh, about f- uh, the uncomfortableness of sex and how it is ultimately foreign and wrong. And the second film is that American exceptionalism will get us all killed. Right. The third film is about nothing fucking matters. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't matter what you do. You're ended up dead. Yeah, it's it's definitely very nihilistic, but it is. I I do think it follows interesting points about Ripley herself because we and we talked about this on the mixed reviews where mm-hmm. Ripley in the first movie is sort of genderless except for the fact that she's like running around in like a like a tank top and panties for the last right. bit. But outside of that, like, you know, there's not a ton that and there's the whole thing about, well, was it written for a man? Was it? uh, But part two does saddle her with, you know, good mommy versus evil mommy. Yeah, she's a mother. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I am your mother. I'm screaming that a lot. And uh, and this one kind of wants to have the best of both worlds. It wants to, you know eat its cake and have it too by being like oh it's, she's it's, the only woman and they're gonna yeah. want to rape her right but then also like shaving her head dressing her the same like creating this genderless thing but also uh oh she's the ultimate mommy yeah because she's carrying an, an alien queen it's yeah. all it's all these things and none of it gets explored enough because you kind of push it to the sides for the both the, the nihilism and the discussion of of religion, which actually Louis is is mostly a lot of the religious stuff is even cut out in the theatrical cut too. So that it's really even slightly messier because it, it loses all focus. It feels just like, you know, they're trying to have a discussion about like, what do you believe in? What do you stand for? Like, I think, uh, is it Charles Dutton? He's mm-hmm. like yes. the guy who was like, yeah, we're going to fucking fight and we're going to fucking die, but at least like, we're going to like fight. And I was like, Oh, like, okay. Yeah. Like he's making this point about, you know, fucking like do something be something with yourself like we're believing in each other we're you know this is this is our calling because he's the kind of like guy who's holding it all together and he's like oh this is our calling and i was like oh that's kind of beautiful um but it's it's the interesting thing is that all these men who look exactly the same because they're all like white and british except for charles sutton like they all just like are deciding like do i believe or not like should i fight or not um, and that's like kind of interesting, but, um, it seems like a very weird, like, I, 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 d- I don't know if, if it like, it feels crowded in this like already big thing about her and the queen and the co- company. I thought it was very interesting that they fuck Bishop as like the evil corporate guy. Like I was like, okay, that's like a, a twist I did not see coming. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just, if, yeah, it just feels like bloated. Yeah. It's funny. Charles. S. Dutton is one of my absolute favorite actors. I grew up with his sitcom Rock, uh, which they filmed live, which is wow. still bonkers to me. Uh, but he, I, there's one scene I wish I could remove from all versions of it, and it's in both versions. And it's when, after Ripley has her big moment of being like, "We gotta hunt this alien down," and the the leader of the planet's eaten by an alien, and and there's a brief moment between her and Charles S. Dutton where he's basically like, well, what if we don't help you? And she's like, you have to help us regardless. You're already in danger. And it's one of those moments where it's like, yeah, he knows this. Why would he bother saying that? Like, it just feels like it's one of those moments where they're like, we have to reinforce that Ridley's a badass. And it's like, we we don't need this. We know she's a badass. He's not that dumb. Like why? What's 
purpose does this scene serve? And yet it's in every single cut. Can I ask, do, do the xenomorphs eat the people in the other movies? I feel like this is the first one I saw him like feasting on them. Like, wasn't the whole thing like infecting them to like lay eggs? Like, why is he eating them in this one? Maybe it's because he's part dog. Or mm. ox, depending on or which ox, version you saw. Depending on the, on, the, on the version that you're watching. Yeah, you know carnivorous oxes. They're very <laughs> common. <laughs> um, that is a good question. And it's very loose. And it's very open to interpretation based on... Because so at this point, it's, it's one of those things like, well, how does the force work in movies versus how does the force work on TV shows versus how does it work in novels versus how does it work on video games? Because they're all fucking different. So in terms of xenomorph biology, we you kind of get from aliens that they're a hive thing and you have a queen and a queen lays eggs and the cycle begins with a queen to egg to face hugger to chest burster to whatever designation, you know, hive alien you get. And then if it's by itself it can kind of self-replicate because an alien, uh, it both will punch uh, its tiny mouth through somebody's head, but also in the director's cut, you learn that it's slowly making survivors into egg people. <laughs> it can take that biological material and kind of go like, all right, you know, like if I don't have a queen here, I can just take what's left of these meat bags and make them into eggs. <laughs> and that's, interesting and so yes this is the only one where you see an alien like dig into a person's body and then go you know what this tastes great i'm just gonna i'm gonna finish the rest of this is this okay everyone i'm just gonna right this right right. And, and he's literally like on all fours and i guess like they make a very like pointed effort to be like uh-oh this alien is different guys like we don't know this one like do, do do they like fire i don't know the other ones don't like fire but we i cannot say for sure and i'm like okay well we're just making shit up now yeah i, no, I was happy that sigourney weaver was like i don't want to do the gun thing again i was happy yes. that she was like james cameron really likes things that go bang and i do not want that well at least cameron had made the argument uh when it came to aliens that Ripley in and of itself is it not a fan of guns and she's very reticent to pick one up and, and use it. And she's driven to the point where she has to defend herself in some way, shape or form. So it's, it's a bit of reticence when she doesn't have a gun anymore. She still defends people by any means that she has available to her. Like and so sarcasm. it's kind of like, this is a very anti-war anti-imperialist anti-gun movie in many respects because the military does not care about these people so it doesn't matter how cool they look with guns guns aren't going to help these people because aliens don't respect fucking bullets they right. just don't right um I, that's when the movie got interesting to me when she's like finally being like you think the fucking company cares about you fuckers she's like they're all dead we're all like and this will What's the timeline? This woman has been, she's, she must be so tired. Oh my God. <laughs> like, I don't know how much time has passed between the first movie and this movie, but it's just like nonstop. She does talk to the alien at one point and say, and she's like, you've been a part of my life for so long now. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> yeah, um, she, she's literally says, I can't remember anything else. And I, I love that tidbit where she's mm -hmm. literally like, you've, you've taken everything from me to the point where you've replaced yeah. All the things that you've taken. I, I do like that. I also thought that when she goes to the autopsy of Newt 
and she lies to Charles Dance about she's like oh it could be cholera and he's like a case of cholera hasn't been reported for 200 years and my mind was like yeah how long has she been frozen (laughs) (laughs) yeah this is one of those um for longtime listeners of this show it's a friday two three and four situation where friday two starts on friday the 13th and then three happens back to back with that and four happens back to back to that so friday the 13th by part four was a week ago yes (laughs) wild yeah and meanwhile jason has literally changed forms so it's uh it's very interesting but in terms of like how this feels to her she's on the nostromo she goes into hypersleep after blowing up the ship is lost for 65 years but she doesn't feel that because she's asleep for the entire time gets back to earth and they're like well we don't believe you why don't you go work down by the space docks she does that for a couple months and then she gets a call and they're like hey we lost contact with that colony that we mistakenly put on the same planet where you found a giant hive of alien eggs uh if you come with us Um, we'll give you your job back. And she's like, well, I've lost my husband, I've lost my child. Uh, I'm working down by the space docks. Makes sense to me. She goes, she has that entire experience, goes back into hypersleep, and she wakes up on the prison planet. So on calendar, it's a long time. Mm -hmm. In terms of her being awake for it, it's a short time. So, uh, you know, her longest, like, conscious period that we're really with her for in terms of within a movie is in aliens where like again like she's drinking shitty space coffee (laughs) oh my god it's another goddamn day to go down by the docks so uh, for her it's it's been a real whirlwind i just can't believe it's like been 65 fucking years and the company is still like really horny for xenomorphs, and they're like, "We just need to get one, guys. Like that is the rare Pokemon that is gonna just like, you know, change our shit up. Like, oh, give it a rest. We just gotta catch him one. Yes. And for whatever reason, this lady's a magnet for these motherfuckers. Yeah, mm-hmm. Truly, she has cracked the code when it comes to attracting xenomorphs. Well, she's been to one foreign planet, you know, one space planet, which happens to have all the space eggs. Mm -hmm. So for whatever reason, they can't ever send anyone else there. They got to get her there. Um, Right. Even they're like, wait, how did you get pregnant with one of those? And she's like, I don't know, like, whatever. Like, I was in the ship. Like, it got me. (laughs) Duh. Yeah. Like the the super cut during the opening credits. Um, it, It tells you one thing. There is an egg that's in the Sulaco's, you know, locker room. And so a a face hugger is on the prowl. Now, when it it comes to all of the various versions of what has happened here, there are some that tell you that the, the face hugger actually impregnated Newt. But when Newt started to drown, the alien queen burst out of her mm. and went into Sigourney Weaver, which makes no fucking sense. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't that, check that's, out. That doesn't really that does uh, that, that's fanciful. Uh, <laughs> I, I, people don't know how these things work. I don't know how they work. They're made up. But pretty much what it comes down to is he any many miny modit 
looked, looked at the guy whose half his face is burned off and a small child and goes, this one's just right and crawled in her mouth. Now, why it takes however very many days yes. for, for the queen alien to burst out of her chest, whereas once the other loose egg goes into a dog and or ox and it's just like, oh, I, I can make, like, we can go right now. Yeah. I'm ready. Okay. Hi. I love, I love the Ripley is just like, <laughs> I'm sick. What's going on? Yeah. And like, and, and they're like, ma'am, like, hello. She's literally just, I have, I have a fever, a little cough. And yeah, mm-hmm. you have a fucking queen xenomorph inside you. It's, yes. it's the Moulin Rouge thing. She coughs in the first yeah. act, a chest burster bursts out in the third act. Yes. yes. That's what happens in Miller Ridge. Uh, the it's funny. I was thinking that too about the gestation period and like any good Star Trek fan, I started coming up with my own mm. reasoning. I was like, mm. oh, it's because she was frozen, and so it God takes long. And then I was like, no, no, that's not said anywhere in this movie. Don't don't give them ideas. Yeah, that's not and your in job. The fourth one, it's a completely different gestation period. That's it's true. Just, it's it's whatever the filmmaker needs it to be is what it comes down. Wait, to. so we're confirming there are more alien movies, is that right? Yes, yeah. there, there's <laughs> one one more with Sigourney Weaver. Yes. Oh God, I thought she jumped into the lava. Uh, surprise, <laughs> you surprise! Did. You can clone people, and sometimes they come back as part alien. Wow, <laughs> wow. Which which we'll get to it. I love how I always end up talking about future alien movies in the current alien movie uh, episode. But there is one truly standout scene in Alien Resurrection in which she goes into a room and sees all the previous versions of the clones of her. It's great, and actually. The, and it's, it, is, it is standout. Like, it makes the entire very goofy, terrible effort worthwhile for that one scene for Sigourney Weaver to go, I'm going to act the fuck out of this one scene. It's yeah. not a Sigourney Weaver problem. No. It's an everything else that happens problem. But as goof-tacular as Resurrection is, Alien 3 has the opposite problem because she's she came into this with very distinct demands. I'm not going to touch a machine gun. I'm going to be dead by the end of this. And it kind of has to be depressing, everyone. And that's it. She's like, let's end it on a low note, everyone. I got to die at the end of this. And so they're they're so desperate to get this fucking thing out that they're like, yes. Well, you know what? An alien movie is better than no alien movie. According to the people who own our stock, let's fucking do it. And so they just barrel ahead. And that means you got to erase a lot of things about Ripley that people and audiences have identified with her fun, curly hair, niche Reebok sneakers, a <laughs> robot friend. She learned to trust Aww. a pseudo trad family. You got to trash all that shit to get to this point. You know, I did like Bishop a lot in the second one. And I was, it was, it's kind of sad. Like seeing his like half melted, like she's carrying on his body and like the half face and he's like, yeah. hello, what's going on? Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah that I, was sad. I, I love that his his like line too about being like they could rebuild me, but I'll never be top of the line again. And yeah. I was just like, oh, poor baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he has an awareness. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that she kind of learns in in aliens is that 
Bishop has an awareness of what his purpose is. And he has a, he's been programmed to care. And in, she's like, but you can be programmed not to care. And he's like, yeah, 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 I could be, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm programmed to care. And so while, whether you trust me or don't trust me, all I can tell you is if I say I'm going to crawl through this fucking pipe and get on the radio and get that sh another drop ship down here, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And he fucking does it. And she's like, all right, all right. Yeah, I like you. And then the tail comes in and rips him in half. You just did we you know see what? nothing's permanent in this world. <laughs> did you guys like see the twist coming at, at the very end with like the corporate guy being like a model bishop or whatever? I was truly like, oh my God, they this this guy's so fucking evil that he was like, I'm gonna make the robot like she trusts look exactly like me. That's some fucking nefarious shit. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of planning also. <laughs> yeah, a lot of planning, a lot of going into A this. lot of planning. For, for, for a company that really can't seem to get its shit together, right. when the one thing it wants is a xenomorph, and they're like, I don't know how we're going to fucking do this. Yeah, and it seems like all they're doing is trash collecting on planets. <laughs> like, that's, <laughs> that's their whole bag. They just collect trash. Yeah, no. Uh, I mean, at, at one point... <laughs> Uh, Ripley goes, uh, listen, I'm going to, I, I don't think the, the xenomorph can kill me. Uh, it doesn't want to. Uh, so I'm going to go looking for it. And 85 goes, well, where are you going to look? And she goes, you know, down in the basement. He goes, this whole fucking thing, this whole planet is a goddamn basement. <laughs> yeah, 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 like, yeah. It's a metaphor. Hello, God. <laughs> <laughs> And then I like, I like the, she, the moment she like confronts the xenomorph and like there's a kind of a spooky moment where the xenomorph like falls next to her and then it cuts to black and then she's like, yeah, okay. It's so like nothing happened. And I was like, wait, what? Like, what, what, what does that interaction look like? The xenomorph's like, okay, yeah, you can leave now. Whatever. Bye. <laughs> he like, actually says mom and tries to hug her. Right. And she's like, yeah. nope. <laughs> oh, just you wait for alien resurrection. Because <laughs> That's true, actually. Oh, I forgot. Oh, because no. Alien Resurrection now transposes that into Ripley being mommy, but also technically daddy. Mm -mm. So, yeah. Alien Resurrection's fucking weird, but also weird interesting, but also weird bad. Yeah. But weird <laughs> interesting, correct. you know, uh, there's ideas. That's the thing about the Alien franchise. There's no, there's no lack of ideas. Plenty of people got ideas it's the realization of those ideas that everyone seems to have problems with speaking of interesting but bad the graphics on this movie <laughs> oh my god when she dived into that pit of lead or lava or whatever mm -hmm. i was like this was the best they had oh my god well, they couldn't yes. just get her going into some water and like color treat the water or something like oh my goodness it, so in no, the director's they, cut you don't actually see her hit she just kind of gets a belt. but also in the i mean in the theatrical cut sorry uh also in the theatrical cut louis something that you missed out on is midway through the jump the chestburster burst <gasps> from her Stop. she grabs it with her hands and pulls it down with her. Oh my God. That's very dramatic. Yes. Yes. Not no, as poetic. The, the drama is high. So she goes from the, in the, in the, in the assembly cut, 
she's Christ. And you're like, right. oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Sure, I guess she's sacrificing herself for humanity. Right. Her hands are like fully in cross position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like she's just sans nails mm-hmm. and wood. Like mm-hmm. she's got it. Uh, and then in the theatrical version, they're like, all she ever wanted was to make sure that a fucking chestburster never pile drived its way out of her chest. And some Fox executives like, yeah, but the audience is really going to want to see this. So, <laughs> so let's let's make sure we we rig her up and put her in front of a green screen and then have this sort of pseudo macross animation where it just goes bloop, 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 bloop. <laughs> and it just, it doesn't make a fuck ton of sense. It just really doesn't. It's just something that, that, that happens. Um, it, that's what the theatrical version of, of this movie is. Stuff just happens. Um, the elements of this, when you say like, what kind of, technology where they working in i mean this is a year before jurassic park mm. so chemical and uh you know f- uh, photorealistic special effects and practicals are at their peak in a lot of ways but also they set themselves up with like the hardest xenomorph task because one of the goals here was to Oh, Oswald. <laughs> he's, he's like, if you say Xenomorph one more time. One more fucking time, <laughs> I'm going to lose it. Well, he's probably going to lose it. So one of the goals they gave for themselves is like, we want to show this alien in a way that hasn't been presented anymore. So it's more animalistic, all right? In, in the first one, it's a thin guy in a suit, but he's really bony and very horny. And then in the second one, they're insects. And so they're like, well, what's a version of an alien we haven't done? Well, what if it were, um, I think the the combination they were going for was bullet train and jaguar. <laughs> and so he's on all fours and he runs super fast. He can grip onto the ceiling. We're going to do a bunch of POV shots mm-hmm. that are things that you have not seen from an alien movie. And they really, you know, they are going for it here. There's a lot of rod puppet work. There's a lot of people on the ground making it go. A lot of POV shots. And there's only two what you could call CGI shots in the entire motion picture. One is it casting a shadow when a flare goes across it and it's on the ceiling. And the other one is after it gets doused with molten lead and it leaps out and Ripley pulls the water and it cracks open because you can't go from that hot to that cold. Right. Those are the only two CGI shots. And that's Um, science. Yes. (laughs) There's one one shot that looks, um, and I'm assuming this is probably part of the rod puppetry, but there's one shot in the infirmary that almost looks stop motion. And Mm -hmm. that's my favorite of the alien (laughs) shots altogether. I'm just like, wow, that's so unrealistic. It's cool looking. Yeah. I mean, I think the the smooth motion, uh, you know, stop motion stuff really does kind of play because it doesn't move like a human being. It shouldn't act like there's, it's a guy in a suit and they go kind of out of their way to make that happen. It, 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 that is kind of successful. The, the least successful version 
of how they tried to make this. And we, we talked about this briefly before, but Richard Edlund, you know, Academy Award winning special effects guy, um, was like, how are we going to have this thing burst out of a dog and or ox and look like, like a shivering baby alien, but it's on all fours, like, like a baby calf. They called it the Bambi alien. And someone came up with the idea, we'll just dress a whippet dog up in an alien costume and have it trot off screen. And when you see in the special features of this, when you see the footage of it, it's fucking adorable. <laughs> it's the cutest little alien just going across the screen. It just doesn't look scary at all. And so in the assembly cut, they've act because when it pops out of the ox, that's a complete that that stuff that they never actually ended up filming. They actually insert a CGI Bambi alien into the assembly cut. So that is the other additional special effects work that was done specifically for a DVD. That's how successful these fucking movies yeah. were. They're like, let's do a, a CGI sequence for this movie that barely made its money back. But we know that this DVD set will sell so many copies that it will make money hand over fist. So they do. I mean, let me tell you that uh, I'm I'm a post-production person, I, I'm an editor. And the fact that they spent that much money recolor correcting it is it, that blows my mind because yeah. that the that color is so detailed because the theatrical cut is very brown and muddy yeah. and the, this like is vibrant and has like there's blues in there i can't even see blue i'm colorblind but i was like <laughs> wow look color yeah it's a really different thing i don't know why the theatrical version so aggressively taking place in Sawsville, USA, Canada. <laughs> it's just very green and very brown and very rusty. It, was, it I guess they felt it was a look, and so they went for it. I, I have a feeling that's a brandy wine decision um, because obviously the environment would be rusty, but it's it just doesn't it doesn't make it pop. And I also think they're trying to almost desaturate it with browns so the so all of the process effects work looks a little bit better because it was such a rush production at the end to actually make this happen to get it in theaters by June 1992 they'd already pushed it by 6 months so you know, like they're like trying everything they can to make this motherfucking thing a summer blockbuster and then Sister Act rocks its fucking face. <laughs> I'm like, well, what are you going to do? And that was, I mean, honestly, same. I, girl, I would not want to go against Sister Act. <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg versus Xenomorph. I know who wins every time. That's very, very true. Even when she partners with a dinosaur, things don't necessarily go well. <laughs> so, uh, so in terms of like character, because we are a horror character podcast, if we're going to to admit it. Um, like Ripley, it, it, there's a lot of that sapped out of her. And the other complaint that so many people have had, and we've talked about this in the previous Aliens episode, is that there were reviewers when Alien came out who said, I don't know who any of these characters are. They're just here to get killed off, which is fucking insane. 
And then you get to Aliens, which is full of minor characters who do get mowed down in one sequence. But you ask most Aliens fans, and they're like, they will rip off these people's names just because they're all rendered very individualistically but then you get to alien three and they're like what if everyone but charles s dutton is just a british asshole who might not be that smart yeah and that's the movie baby (laughs) you've got just everyone looks the same and ripley comes in looking different and they're like no 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 look like all these british guys and that's the movie. Yeah, it's like they have their little space cult of like undesirables, and I, I don't. I it, it, it's so it literally when I was like I was like it's they're being very culty. There's that part where like they're attacking her, and I'm like, but what for? She even says she's like, what are you waiting for then? If you're gonna like fuck me up, like what's what's the deal? You guys mm-hmm. like I, I, what power do you guys really have? Like we're all on this rock about to die, like. What's going on? And but yeah, they're all just little carbon copies of like yeah. buttheads. <laughs> they're all just rugby thugs. Yes. And yes. With the exception of Charles S. Dutton, who apparently came from the the planet Baltimore. That's about <laughs> it. Oh my god, it's very that he's he's doing alien um, SVU. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go to I'll go to bat for Charles Dance. I actually do really like him and his performance. I mean, I get that he is basically like just another British person in a forty person sea of British people, but I do yeah. think they go out of their way to make you like him and make him very three dimensional, which is why it's shocking when he dies midway through the movie. But yeah. the 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 calculation you make with that is. <laughs> you then remove one of the more interesting characters from the film. And it's one of those things where like he could have died three fourths the way through or right before the end. And I think it would have been just as impactful. Does the movie imply that they fuck? Yes. Oh, they, they fuck. Okay. She, but she literally, the implication that I have always gotten is she fucks him. So she doesn't have to tell him about the aliens. Right. I, I was like, what? And she's like, Oh, what? Just because we, shared a bed you i owe you answers i was like what is going on (laughs) weird weird um uh everything because she's like yeah you could be killed for having relationships with an inmate like okay (laughs) the politics here is very strange very bizarre and but the other thing is it kind of returns ripley to the alien era version of her where that entire ship is fucking Mm. they're all fucking that's that's what you learn they they've all had sex with the exception of ash because at one point in the director's cut she legitimately asked like so have you fucked ash (laughs) (laughs) she's like no i haven't have you and like no isn't it weird that no one on the ship has fucked the doctor and that's a plot point you're like okay if they're all fucking and you haven't fucked this one guy and he has no desire to fuck anyone that's Something's a robot. weird with that guy. That's a you robot, Maury. <laughs> That's a robot, Maury. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe Ash wouldn't have betrayed them. Maybe Ash wouldn't have been as eager to turn them over to the company I if know. he'd yeah. been like, would somebody would just fuck me? Please. <laughs> do you do you he, know the things I can do as a robot? He was not programmed to fuck. That's the that's Ash's main issue. And that's why he short circuits when he gets anywhere near anything sexual. He's like, I don't know. What if I shoved this dirty magazine down your throat? Would that approximate sex? <laughs> That's as close as he ever gets. 
Um, so yeah, Clemens is a very interesting case study because I, there's not a lot of him in other aliens movies. And there's the prescient of his backstory that becomes a character trope. While he is not the first drug and alcohol addicted, disgraced doctor forced to take on a lowly role on the outskirts of society. But Clemens is the first of many that happen from the 90s on. Like, he's like a launch point. For whatever reason, a whole bunch of people see this movie like, you know, I might not like Alien 3. But I like the idea of a drug-addled doctor who has to do things he wouldn't normally do. And then every other TV show has one of these. It's just something that that bursts forth after this. Not bursting Um, forth in Aliens. (laughs) Very much so. Um, and then uh, there's the other element that makes Clemens rare on Fury 161. He's a former prisoner who has decided to stay on as an employee and medical officer. So he's self-isolated. He didn't have to stay, but there was nowhere for him to go. And he feels like I fucked up so bad. I shouldn't be allowed around normal society. Right. I also, I also like 85 because He's like, guys, uh, I have a family. I got to go. Like, I'm not a prisoner. And I'm like, girl, yes, you are. You were literally on the same rock, like doing nothing different. You are a prisoner. You And I, so I, I, I do appreciate sometimes these movies are um, very clever and sly and being like, you corporate capitalist police guarding fucks really don't get it, do you? No. No, they do not. Um it's it's a and everyone's kind of in that same situation because it's not officially still a prison but also anywhere anywhere they would go from here seems semi worse than where they are and so like i don't know i guess we live on rust town now and so they do (laughs) the other element of clemens that i think is is at least worth talking about is that uh charles dance is a stone cold fox in this movie yeah like 100%. he's attract he's he's very attractive he's british attractive he's stage attractive there's a reason why he's in a lot of movies the camera likes to look at him but i don't think he's been allowed as often to just be eye candy and in here the camera looks at him and like can you believe that jawline is available right now <laughs> that guy on this planet full of monks <laughs> <laughs> full of monks the one guy who is available just happens to be goddamn fuckable so <laughs> what are you gonna do like she has no choice in the matter honestly she really doesn't uh he just charles dance isn't afforded the opportunity very often to play someone who is even remotely vulnerable yeah no so he's, he's here normally he takes he, he is a bad guy. Like, that's yeah. the, you know, he shows up and he's like, hello, because the British lost the Revolutionary War, I will be your bad guy for the evening. <laughs> and that's the, and that's what he does. And he's yeah. also just a general, like, such a funny human being. I don't know if you read any of the interviews that, this is a complete tangent, but when the, the last Godzilla movie came out before <laughs> Godzilla versus Kong that he was mm-hmm. in and somebody asked him about, you know, if, if the movie you know, if he liked making the movie and he's like, oh, they made me watch it. And so I fell asleep five minutes in like, <laughs> yeah, he's very funny. Yeah. I, uh, we worked on uh, the marketing 
for for that one. Oh, uh, did you? It's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I bet you didn't include was... any quotes from Charles Dance. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, no, I, we we did taglines and shit. So it's, it's very nice to see your words like on the side of a bus. Like that is cool. I won't that say cool. it's not cool, but there's all and. I also like I my, my kiddo loved Godzilla movies at a certain age. Like we watched a lot of them. So it's not a lineage filled with art necessarily. Like they're all goofy weirdo movies oh, yeah. that predominantly feature one female soldier who's like I came close to firing a missile at Godzilla but then I missed. So now when I have the opportunity I'm going to and an awkward scientist with a kids like kids like are you going to ask out that weird military lady? <laughs> that's the movie. Like that's the majority of the movie and then some lizards fight. But most of it is this weird drama <laughs> where a kid's like poking at you like are you going to ask that weird military lady out already? <laughs> I give it a lot of like, all right, it's fine. But the one sequence in which what we learn is the villain of the piece gives a monologue broadcast across the world that she has released all the monsters because the monsters are going to bring us back to econo uh, to uh, ecological harmony. And it's edited together as if someone in the secret base is like, go with that footage. Go with footage B, <laughs> D camera, and they're 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 directing it like it's Saturday Night Live. <laughs> what 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 fucking evil base is this? Who is directing it? Who has all the archival footage and is cutting in between her monologue? Um, Though they did win the Emmy for best variety program that year, they <laughs> really, really did. did. Well, you know, it's a, it was a stacked year, but you have to admit, like, you may not like the ceremony, but the direction is through the roof. This is why <laughs> the Oscars will never win an Emmy. Um, that's another fucking <laughs> headache. All right, so uh, our other we've talked about him briefly, but let's talk about Dylan a little bit more. He comes from Planet Baltimore. Uh, he does seem to be the de facto leader but also is not such a convincing leader that everyone just follows anything he says. He really has to argue people into doing what he wants. Yeah, he's the guy who's like, okay, I know you're doing a speech thing, but I actually, it's my turn to do a speech thing. Um, <laughs> and I love like, so Ripley's like, okay, you have to kill me because I've got this baby queen in me. And he's like a badass, right? And she's like, yeah. you know, yeah, you can do it. And he's like, yeah, of course I can fucking do it. And then, like, is being so dramatic and so extra, hits the fucking fence and is like, I don't like giving up. It's just like, what in the Michael Bay is going on? Like, they want him to be like, every moment she's like, you know my deal, right? We kill the thing first, then you. Like, it's like, okay, we get it. Like, just say you don't want to kill her. Like, you don't have yeah. to try and be a badass about it. I, I do I think it, ultimately I, he doesn't want to kill her. Right. He's 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 done that. He's gone through this, whatever this process is to come out the other side of like, listen, I don't think I'm going to heaven, but I also don't need to keep, you know, you know, pushing towards hell. Maybe, maybe I get neutral out of this by not being so much of an asshole, but also is like, oh, okay, I don't believe that aliens exist inside you. What is that fucking thing that's running around in the basement the entire movie? <laughs> like, now you don't believe that aliens are real? Like, they can't hide inside of her chest? I, oh, I don't I don't quite understand that motivation. I, I like what she says right before she thinks he's going to kill her, her, though. And she gives the, like, 
no speeches, no yeah. prayers. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, she's, she's like, like, okay, I really don't want you to do the thing that you're doing. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I promise. And yeah, then yeah. He's like, <laughs> just, just quick, clean kill. Thank you very much. I got one fucking request after all these goddamn movies. Just <laughs> swing an axe and lop my head off. Yes. And he goes, sure. She, she's a, she's basically become the Tom Skerritt from the first Alien. Just the, the like, please kill me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, mm, maybe we have a fun adventure where everyone <laughs> runs around and the camera goes upside down for a little while. Yeah, I'm lady, sorry. there's still 45 minutes left of this movie. You got, <laughs> you're not dying yet. <laughs> I have 45 minutes in which Waylon Yutani arrives and then they just can't get their shit together for a really long time. Like I have a 12 year old who refuses to get out of the car. Once we park, just you park. And then it's five minutes of him thinking about exiting a vehicle. And you're like, <laughs> We're all at the fucking mall. It's time to get out of the car. He's like, mm, let me fold up what I'm reading here. Looks, looks real brown out there. Business, I don't know. Man. Just get out of the fucking car. It's it's real weird looking out. Everything's pipes. Everything's brown. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It's true. No one has a schematic of the joint. Uh, <laughs> you you kind of have to memorize it. Um, uh, let's, I think we're down to like two characters. And the, the, here's one we can just get out of the way. Junior, notably the first on-screen victim of the Bambi A-Lead. The only element of note that it comes to this role is that Junior is played by that guy in Gina Radcliffe bunk fantasy, Holt McElhaney. Uh You would not recognize him because it's like Holt, Ma- he's like baby Holt McElhaney with steampunk glasses on. So... If you did not know that was Holt McElhaney, you can be forgiven. He's like one of the guys who like is running around like there's that whole sequence where like they're all running for like to try and get the xenomorph like in a specific area. Right. No, he's dead by that point. He is literally the first human victim of the xenomorph. (laughs) That's how uh, Pete Postlewaite is one of those guys. But yes. again, you would not know it because everyone looks the same. It's only slight changes in their nose shape that can tell them apart. Wait, so is Junior the guy who gets like fucked up by the fan? Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, he gets he gets mopped up afterwards. It's really just only a joke for Gina Radcliffe. Unfortunately, <laughs> cannot be here. And then the last character I think we do need to discuss, which is weird because in the theatrical version of, of this movie, he barely exists, is Golik. Um, Golik is uh, a weird loner who smells bad, and everyone tells him that. Yes. Uh, and he is a character who suffered the worst cuts from both the Vincent Ward version of the script and Fox editing down the movie after David Fincher was locked out of the edit. Golik is obviously suffering from an active mental illness. He's also in the midst of a religious mania after discovering the aftermath of both the arrival of Ripley, the discovery of a queen xenomorph face hugger, finding the remains of junior in the tunnel into Golik. The alien represents a dragon, a creature designed to test everyone's faith and bring about holy retribution upon fury one six one. But of course, all that is cut out of the theatrical version, he's just a guy in a straitjacket covered in blood who disappears from the movie after the hospital attack. That's so wild because I feel like it, in the assembly cut, like he's the reason why that fucking alien escapes again. Right. Yeah. 
Yes. How do they and, explain and that? The, and then in the theatrical version, it's just, it never gets captured. It yeah, just it just, I was going to say, they never even capture it. Yeah, hmm. no. I, I like, I mean, the character obviously is like Cuckoo Bananas, but like, I love, I mean, that whole idea of like, the, this is what they've all been like, you know, been, uh, God, I hate using this word, but like the entire time they're grooming each other for like God and like faith right. and religion. And like, here is this creature from the fucking stars who has come down mm. and is like all powerful. And he's like, this is God. Hello. Hi. <laughs> like, this is, this is what we're here for. And it, it, it's really interesting to see like, you know, how everyone reacts differently or not everyone, I guess. Like he's, he's just like takes the extreme version of like, Oh, this is salvation. I need to free this thing. And like, everyone's like, what the fuck are you doing? You're psycho. And of course, when he goes, the fucking xenomorph just like munch, munch, crunch, crunch. And, um, <laughs> Like, yet again, I'm like, yeah, great. The, the movie could have been over. They could have fucking left the thing in there and it would be fine. But yeah. <sighs> I, I think that is the that is the cross purpose. The thing that makes it dirtier and grittier and more interesting also makes it less of a roller coaster ride. And so from Fox's point of view, it's summer. It's June 1991. Your competition is Batman Returns and Lethal Weapon 3. You better comes with a roller coaster ride and a guy having a, a religious fervor doesn't really go with that necessarily. So, you know, they eliminate it. But I also think it, that texture is what ultimately makes Alien 3 a much more interesting watch and what has drawn people back to it since its theatrical release. Yeah. I, I mean, I completely agree. I think there's so much lost in, which is so funny because I I think, you know, the, the theatrical cut the way that it is, is too long. As an editor, I would cut it down by at least half an hour, but it would still be a bad movie. And yeah. the assembly cut is such a superior film. And it's not even just the length, but it's because it allows those moments like you're talking about that those ideas and those thoughts to really breathe and to really have impact. And that subplot does add a texture and a layer, and it, it gives motivation to half of these characters that you never learn who they are because they all look the same, but it yeah. like lets you feel for them. And without it, it it's kind of pointless. And it, it makes that last half an hour truly feel like, well, this is just a bunch of people running around. <laughs> that's all that's <laughs> happening. It's so odd when you have this, because there are plenty of films that are created in chaos. I would say even the greatest films we we all love, as they were being made, as they're being edited, there's a sense of chaos. Like you're, it, the end mixture that you get is a bit of magic if it works. And I don't know what elements of Alien 3 you could actually put together for it to make the same level of movie that you get from alien or aliens primarily because it is created in such a chaotic fashion as they took two different movies and smushed them together. Right. You're just not going to come out with a good product when you don't have a product, when you actually start filming it, that's just very, very hard to do. It is, exceptionally rare for anyone to make something worthwhile come out of 
that particular brand of chaos. And, cha and chaos it was. <laughs> and it hasn't changed. So uh, before uh, we move on, are there any other thoughts or feelings you would like to share about Alien 3? I, I feel like when I finished, I was like, oh, this is like a very good, like natural arc in the end of it. Like, you know, she killed herself. The company does not get the thing. Like I felt at peace with this franchise. And so I'm just like, really like, huh. They, after all that, after all that chaos and like, you know, it going to shit, they were still like, no, yeah, we can do more. That's fine. That's fine. Let's, <laughs> let's do more. Uh, you know, it, it they these things have made such razor thin profits, but the cultural impact of them is so large that I think, you know, and now Disney owns Fox. And so they look at that IP and they know it has such insane cultural impact. You, it just seems wild to not try to make more hay out of it. Yeah. But also there's only so much hay you can make out of it. Yeah. I mean, I know that they made, um, I did know that they're like recently, like within the last 10 years, they made another movie. I feel like it kind of came and went without much of anything. Um, where do we think like the franchise stands now? Well, they've greenlit a, a uh, series that yeah, will end up on Hulu it's oh. produced by FX, uh, and uh, the uh, writer creator of the TV version of Fargo is mm. behind it. Mm. So make of that what you will. He's done very good TV work. He's made one particular movie that is a, a not even an entertaining fuck up. Um, <laughs> so I yeah. don't know. I, I I am agnostic about it at a certain point. I, I became very agnostic after Prometheus, a movie that I, there are people who openly loathe and people who openly champion it. And to me, it is kind of beautiful garbage. <laughs> there, it has a standout sequence in it that I think is amongst the best that is ever produced in, in the alien series, but also doesn't really feel like it's, that connected to the alien franchise in a lot of ways. It, it so, has a really amazing scene where Charlize Theron runs from a thing that is going to roll over her. And instead of running sideways, she just continues to run in the straight line <laughs> until it crushes her. <laughs> I, I will give it this. And this is one thing that you really only get when you watch it in 3d is that it is rolling towards her and she's kind of in a valley. If yes, she goes yeah. left or right, she would have to run uphill. And so there's no guarantee that she would actually get out of its way. So no, I don't. I just, I, I like picking on the movie, but I kind of feel the same yeah. as you. It's it, it, Patrick. Is there actually something that you said earlier that really struck me um, mm -hmm. outside of like the alien versus predator films? The, the thing that's nice about the alien movies is they are weirdly, a franchise of auteur films. Every yeah. director that has come on, even the ones that have openly disowned their movies, have come in and placed their stamp on. I mean, the the Prometheus and and the the following Alien film after that, um, which I is the one I really don't like, and I know there are defenders of it. To me, it's the most like a Friday the Thirteenth sequel, just with an alien. Yeah. 
Um, but <laughs> how dare you? I, uh, I, I mean, I, and also I say as a big fan of the Friday the 13th, the only that that fucking series tricked everybody. Seven movies, seven same movies. Listen, there's not a Friday the 13th film in, in which in which two robots have gay sex via flute. That's that is something I wish could be in a Friday the 13th movie. <laughs> All, those ones feel like Ridley Scott films. Aliens feels like a J- James Cameron film. For better or worse, this actually does feel a little bit like a David Fincher film. Um, not not fully formed David Fincher, but it's definitely there. And Alien Resurrection mm. has th- those Jean-Pierre Jeunet moments in it. So like, it's, uh, yeah, it's really interesting that a lot of franchises don't get that. A lot of franchises come in and there's a Bible and a look and you just kind of color within the lines and that's what you get. And so I do think that that is definitely the, the sort of spark of the alien movies. The thing that makes it more interesting is that it is supposed to be this one timeline. And, you know, it's not like James Bond movies where every four or five, you know, movies, it's a reboot or like a Batman movie where, you know, you cast another actor, you get to watch his parents die again. The it's, one solid franchise, but each taken from a different storyteller who's like, well, this is the way I'm going to tell the story. And for better or for worse. Yeah. And I I think it is a worthy experiment to have alien movies that remove Ripley from the necessary component element of it here. Like, I think that is a worthy experiment. Like, I'm okay with a screen movie that doesn't have Sydney in it. Like, I think she's earned rest. I think she's earned peace. I, I don't think Scream is something... Well, Scream is overly dependent on her backstory. As we've described on this show, it's very focused on the fact that her mom fucked. Like, it's just... Yeah. Come on, guys. Like, seriously. Is there nothing else happening in this town? Um, so, Yeah. Uh, it's very individualistic and that is both its boon and how it has gone bust. And um, it, it's rare that that happens. It's rare that it happened at the time. It's certainly only become more rare since because it's movies just aren't built like this anymore. So uh, that being said, why don't we choose our own death venture? And that is where we decide of the many, many, many deaths portrayed in this motion picture. Uh, if you were forced to die that way, which one you'd, would you choose and why? And considering how many people die in this film, a vast majority of them all die the same way. So pretty much your choices are die uh, drowning inside of your sleepy time tube, uh, <laughs> but you're asleep. Uh, or um, you have an alien uh, put his mouth through your head or chest and he goes munchy, munch, munch, munch. You get uh, shot um, by some goons from Wayland Utani, or you do a, a, a back dive uh, off of a platform into molten lead, which you may or may not have an alien uh, chew its way out of your chest as you descend. And so uh, you are both my guests, but Louie, I have decided that you... We'll go first. Okay, so I have been thinking about this for the entire episode. And there is one specific moment that uh, where the Xetomorph gets one of our um, interchangeable dudes that I, I particularly um, was like, yeah, that's, that, that, that one would work for me. I, I really do feel like I would like to go like running as fast as I can, trying to like, you know, 
make it around the corner. And like, he almost makes it. Um, and then just like fully gets snatched. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, 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 I like that one. I, I don't know. Everything else seems like it would take a long time to die. I feel like this <laughs> feels just like a, let's get it done with. And also this guy, I, I like this one because he was like running. He, he, you know, I don't like when it's like, poof, I made it. And then like the, 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 the freak out happens. Like you actually did not he like is just doing his best and it's like, oh, you got caught. It's kind of like playing tag and he lost tag with the xenomorph. Um, and I think sure. that's how it, that's how I'd go. <laughs> no, re- that sounds reasonable. Gavin, what say you? Uh, I'm uh, claustrophobic, so I'm very scared of drowning. So drowning in my sleepy tube sounds awful. Uh, I don't like being too hot. So I think molten lead also sounds really bad. So I think just a quick like puncture to the head, quick little, little mouth to the head nonsense and i'm out do you, i i just remembered that like when he kills the doctor he like the xenomorph grabs him by the face yes <laughs> and he's like and like between like the sheet and he just has to like stare at the xenomorph through the sheet before he gets punched in the face i thought that was pretty funny oh Imagine- that reminds me the the theatrical cut doesn't have my favorite shot in it which is right before the doctor dies when the alien comes out of the thing and you can see the cot lower oh the bed he, yeah yeah that's not in the mm-hmm. theatrical cut it's fun. Yeah. yeah. Now, it, there's a lot of mood and skill that is just kind of excised out of the theatrical version. They just really cut it to the bone, weirdly, um, but also cut a lot of the mood out of it. It just right. doesn't, it does, it does not operate the way it was meant to. But also, the meaning was so muddled considering the insane backstory of how it comes to be. It's just, it doesn't, listen, what is my favorite part of Alien 3? The Helmut Newton photographs of Sigourney Weaver. She looks <laughs> amazing. Yeah. The Patrick, like, do you do you get to pick how you want to die out of, out of those I choices? I absolutely do. Yeah. Uh, again, I don't like drowning. Uh, even if I'm asleep for it, I'm not into it. I don't like to be shot. Um, <laughs> and I famously do not like heights. Mm. Uh, so, yes, I'm also going to go for a mouth punch to the forehead because it's going to be quick. I mean, listen, um, you're going to feel it, but also you're going to forget it pretty fast because right. he's munching brains. Right. So, I also like, just like the worst way to die in this, honestly, like obviously all the way suck. Um, but like, ugh, imagine being killed by those fucking nerds from like the corporation. <laughs> like, know. oh, the indignity. Absolutely not. I, w- take- I would rather have Paul McGann slit my throat than have to die by those wailing Utani nerds. Yeah. Take me very, out, Xenomorph. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so uh, we call uh, the Church of Alien 3 to a close. But of course, before we go, uh, please tell our audience about your show and what you do there because I highly recommend it. Gavin, you want to take it away? Sure. So Louie and I co-host a podcast called The Mixed Reviews. The 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 is important because there are some pretenders out there who are not the mixed reviews. <laughs> uh, but uh, sure. we, we are a film podcast in which we take a film subject such as an actor, director, or mini genre. We take two weeks ourselves. When we have guests, we like to give them a little more time because we're not, you know, sadists. <laughs> uh, but we then do as much research as we can, watch as many movies as we can. And we kind of give you a full history. And then we tell you what we thought worked and what we didn't think worked in, you know, per the subject. And so, yeah, it's a lot of fun. You can find us online on any major podcast app. We're on Twitter. If you want to, 
tweet at us at, at the mixed reviews. And we just started a Patreon uh, where we're going to be doing some bonus episodes as well as, you know, giving voting power. And, you know, it's a, it's a fun way to, to come and join us. We have a discord where a pretty active can go and chat about movies. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah, we, like, we like to have fun. The reviews they're mixed. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, just us being movie watching homos. It's great. <laughs> And I, I think you give a great breath to everything there. You know, there's a, a lot of places that are very quick one and done. And over here at kill by kill, when we've, you know, we have seven episodes talking about Jason X. So we've been known to take our <laughs> Wow. We went crazy. We went insane, but we still devoted all that time just to that one lousy movie. And so I feel like you you give a lot of depth to whatever the subject is. And uh, I, I just, I think you guys are very good at what you do. You know, uh, you're a joy to listen to, and I would recommend you to our, our audience. Oh, I was just going to say, we we just released our Tony Collette episode, um, ho- horror girly, um, you know, so. Um, <laughs> if anyone, yeah. yeah if that's, anyone, that's why we keep saying I am your mother. Because yeah, it's just stuck it's in our stuck head. It's stuck in our head. Yeah, <laughs> she's, fresh, she's fresh on the mind. Sure. No, it's indelible. Absolutely. Uh, and so that just about does it for us here. Of course, you can find us on all the socials on Twitter. We've got the Facebook group. We've got uh, Instagram. You can go over and find us uh, on Patreon. we got fun stuff that we're doing over there. We just talked about Phantom of the Paradise and Brian De Palma. And of course, at the end of the month, or, or, or uh, uh, when this comes out, we will just release our Friday the 13th 3D movie, which I promise our audience, I will be watching in 3D, the only way to watch Friday the 13th 3d because you have to make sure to watch that one guy who poops in his own stock room you have to make sure you see that in three dimensions it's the only way to do it wow and so uh for myself and for louis and for gavin don't worry folks the body count will continue uh bye-bye everybody bye